welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here in the virtual podcast world with Chad Collins, owner at Kingdom Chemicals. Chad, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Yeah, hey, great to be a part of it. Glad I can join. Yeah, no kidding. You seemed pretty pumped earlier. I know you text me and we've been talking a little bit here and there over the last week. And so have you been on a podcast or is this the first time? So this is my second time. Ah, nice. Still a little nervous, but I think we'll get through that the jittery stage. Oh yeah, no kidding, man. Well, I find that once I ask a few questions and people forget that they've got a microphone or I guess now that we're doing this remotely, who knows what people are recording on. But nonetheless, I think once we get going, the, you know, the jitters certainly subside. But what other podcasts have you been on? Man, I forgot the name of it, but Ryan, yeah, his first name is Ryan. He's in Houston. And okay. I was on his podcast about three months ago. Okay, nice, nice. Was it oil field related? Or? Yep, yep. All oil field related, just kind of talking about some of the scavenging products that we have and techniques that we use for H2S. Oh, no kidding. Okay, cool. Well, shoot, we can certainly touch on that once we get going. Um, so since then, have people reached out to you and, you know, that maybe that you wouldn't have expected and been like, hey, I heard you on the podcast because I know that's, you know, after interviewing folks, that sometimes happens. You know, it's a pretty cool experience. Yeah. You know, I had like probably two or three people reach out to me on that, but Perfect. I gave them, you know, my contact info for however many months ago it was, I was at an oil company. So yeah. since then I've transitioned into, you know, my own business. So they kind of hit me up on LinkedIn, but I really wasn't super using LinkedIn to its full advantage like I do now. So awesome. But this time around, it'll turn up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, hopefully, man. And I'm just glad to help tell your story. And, you know, like, so like many of my current contacts, actually, we met through LinkedIn after you made a post about a new product that's available to the market, which we can touch on soon. But, you know, the fact that you are trying to help in this current environment, obviously, if anyone out there isn't aware, which I'd be extremely surprised, you know, this whole coronavirus pandemic, you know, the oil and gas, you know, I don't have to regurgitate what everyone knows, but our industry is under some, you know, some serious heat, you know, companies are trying to figure out how to get over this. But more importantly, I think, you know, from a health and safety perspective is there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the resources that we'd normally go to for things like hand sanitizer, soap, you know, comically enough, toilet paper, you know, those are becoming a scarce commodity and they are a scarce commodity and people are scrambling trying to identify how we can mass produce this stuff to, you know, make sure things like hospitals and, you know, public locations that people are still being at physically, you know, that they get the stuff that they're needed to clean. And so that was, you know, you made a post about a cleaner that you had. And, you know, a lot of people I find are trying, you know, just trying to do whatever it takes to help society. And I found that pretty amazing what you were doing. So that's kind of what interested me. And we hit each other up on LinkedIn. And next thing you know, we're here behind the mic. We've come a long way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Over a week, you know, it's funny technology and think goodness for technology during these times because it's I think it's helped save a lot of people including you know yourself and your situation but you know before we get diving into it how are you and your family and, and how are you you know coping through the whole quarantine thing you know we've been holding up just as good as as anybody my wife is a nurse at a very large hospital here in Denver so ah, they've okay. been in like preparatory mode down there like honestly preparing for what sounds like Armageddon whether or not that will ever come to fruition, I hope it doesn't. But yeah, you know, no they're, kidding. They're super prepared. They've got man, the extensive that the hospital's gone to get prepared. It's pretty amazing. But and then as far as me, you know, I've worked from home for many years, so this is really nothing new. Okay. The other thing I was kind of thinking about, I started my oil field career like working on a drilling rig as a geologist. 
So I was used to being quarantined in the middle of nowhere for 30 days at a time. So (laughs) So you've been naturally preparing for this moment. Yeah, right. I feel like anyone that spent any amount of time in the oil patch, man, we're prepared for quarantine. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's funny you say that, you know, being, you know, coming up from, you know, the drilling rig standpoint, you know, being in camp in the middle of nowhere in Canada and the bushes, yeah, you definitely get a sense of what quarantine's all about. But, you know, there's certainly an added level of stress whenever you flick on the news and see that the whole world's just, you know, freaking out and, yep. you know, stressed out and rightfully so. Like, it's just the uncertainty out there right now is at the highest level it's ever been, you know, from a health and economy standpoint. So it it, uh, it adds a little to it. But like you said, being in the oil field, being isolated and somewhat quarantined out on a rig kind of, I'm sure people can help you know, themselves cope with this and maybe give some advice for other people. But, you know, it's all been doom and gloom and there's no doubt about it. But I wanted to ask you, is there anything positive that's come from this or any realization that this event has created for you? You know, there's actually a ton that I have observed. I don't know if I can remember them all right now, but, you know, this the aspect of people maybe realizing what truly matters in their life. My wife and I were talking, it's like, you know, we're Christians, we're faith-filled people. And it's like, we we're seeing people that, you know, maybe weren't super on fire are all of a sudden now becoming on fire with their faith. Also just like the family unit, you know, some two weeks ago, maybe the dad or the mom was constantly working and there was like this huge imbalance between family work and, and everything. But now they've been kind of forced to have a balance because they can't escape it. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and then just seen on LinkedIn and some other social media, like managers and stuff saying, you know, I'm more productive working from home than I could have ever imagined. I'm getting more done at home than I ever did at the office. One guy, Halliburton guy, he just said, you know, I spend 10 hours a week commuting in Houston. I'm not getting anything done during that, but now I'm using those 10 hours to work from home. Yep. And I'm able to spend more time with my family. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's, this will kind of fundamentally change the way we, we do business or, or how we work? You know, I honestly believe it will because you know, some studies have shown that if you do something, you know, repetition wise, it becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, there's going to be people that wake up and say, you know, maybe we don't need that big giant office space that we had so that a handful of people could come in. You know, our company is working just fine. Everyone at home, let's save some money on that. Anyone that deals with traffic, man, (laughs) the less time you got to spend in that, the happier you are. Yeah, no, I can agree with that. And, you know, and I commute regularly out here in Katy, which is basically Western Houston, into where our office is. It's anywhere from 35 to 45 minutes and sometimes an hour, depending on traffic. But, you know, I try and use that time to make a lot of phone calls. So when I'm at the office or, you know, in front of my customers, you know, I'm not on my phone nearly as much. I'm trying to get things done. So, but there are people, like you said, that travel and are on the road constantly. And if you're anyone that has to be doing things behind a computer or, you know, I mean, hopefully people aren't texting and driving or emailing and driving. I mean, yeah, that burns up a lot of time. And while you may be listening to podcasts or, you know, gathering information, it, it's still hard to take care of responsibilities, you know, especially the day-to-day thing. So, yeah, I can identify. I mean, even, you know, I help on a technical support standpoint, you know, on my, my regular job and, you know, involved with operations and, you know, still having to generate reports and do things behind the computer. Yeah, I find that I can get a lot done. And it's been an interesting shift. And, you know, I think most people are now adapting. It took me a few days, to be honest, because, I mean... I like to bounce around. I don't like to sit in one place at one time. I have a stand-up desk at my, you know, my office and I'm barely at it if I'm, you know, cuz I'm out doing things, but now I'm, you know, here I don't have my stand-up desk, which is totally fine. I'm grateful for what I have, don't get me wrong, but it takes a while to adjust, you know, and so hopefully the folks out there have done so. But anyways, more about yourself, Chad. So you're in Denver right now. Are you from Denver or where are you from? Yeah, so I was uh born in Denver. My dad worked for Halliburton growing up when I was a kid. So I spent uh, about eight years in Rock Springs, Wyoming. Then we got transferred to Liberal, Kansas for a couple years, then Trinidad, Colorado, Corpus Christi, Texas. Then I graduated college from Texas A&M and immediately went out to North Dakota, where I began my career 
on the drilling rig side of things. Yeah, no kidding. So when you were Texas A&M, you graduated in a bachelor's with geology? or Geology, correct. Yep. Okay. So why geology? I find that so interesting. I'm asking people, you know, doing petroleum engineering up in Canada, you know, our geology classes were, you know, for me, they were one of the hardest classes ever. I did much better in, in other disciplines, but why geology? Was that always something you were interested in or tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it really has. So growing up in the town, Rock Springs, Wyoming, man, like we didn't have theme parks or any shopping malls or nothing. So your entertainment came from what you made it. And we lived out in the desert and there was just amazing rocks everywhere. And my mom's college professor would let me go on field trips with them for geology. And man, that really just caught my eye. I'm a hands-on type person. I'm really a a boy trapped inside a man's body. So (laughs) nice. I love to dig holes as a kid. And that turned into digging, you know, 15,000 foot oil wells as a grown man. No kidding. It's funny. People always say for us, mud engineers, you know, our parents used to give a shit for playing in the mud and now we're getting paid for it. (laughs) It's paid for it. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting how things turn around and, you know, similarly for you. So you grew up there. So I guess naturally you just kind of got into oil and gas. I mean, was your father the type that was like, hey, never get into oil and gas. You don't want to be like me. Or did he encourage you to do so? Because I kind of hear a mixed bag on that. Yeah. So he encouraged me, but he encouraged me to go in a different direction than what he did. So he was a wireline engineer for Halliburton, ran a downhole video camera that they put down in the wells, which was super cool as like, you know, eight years old seeing oil and gas and water come out of perforations, you know, that are 15,000 foot in the ground. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. But no kidding. He just told me, if you're going to do the oil field, you've got to get an education so that you don't have to go out and work out in the field for 30 years like he had to do. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I'll do that. And, you know, being 18 years old, no, I, I want to go be a roughneck, blah, 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 blah. That's the coolest job ever. <laughs> but I took his advice and it was great. You know, as time progressed, I, you know, became a directional driller, which as most people know, that takes quite a long time to become one of those guys. And I only had two years oil field experience. Yeah. How did you manage to move up so fast? Like speak on that. Yeah. So honestly, I just prayed and I knew God had a path for my whole life and he led me to meet the right people at the right time. So I was a geosteering geologist in North Dakota and in Montana And I always went to the floor and I always hang out with the directional hands because I knew working in the command center, we all kind of congregated together anyway. And I wanted to have their job because I thought, man, the directional drillers, that's like the coolest rock star job ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Next to a mud engineer. Next to a mud engineer. (laughs) (laughs) No, I got to say directional drillers, they get the praise. They're on the floor. They know where they're going. It's right. Like, you know, because I grew up, you know, or I guess cut my teeth as a they call them lease hands, but lease hand mm-hmm. and floor hand and motor hand. But yeah, the directional drill. I mean, <laughs> I remember just like big old fat mud engineer would come on, do nothing what it seemed like, and then walk off location with his notepad and his funny looking cup. <laughs> I definitely didn't expect myself to be on the mud side of things, but the directional driller definitely gets the, uh, like you said, the rock star badge. So oh, anyway, yeah. I, I, I give him a hard time, but yeah, directional drillers are kind of cool. I know a few of them. <laughs> it was, it was pretty sweet. And you know, I followed them around. And so I kind of had a concept of what it took to become a directional hand. Yeah. And then being the geo steer, I was looking for something better. And I actually sent out a resume and I didn't realize I sent it with my work email. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm out on a rig and we land the curve and I get called back to the main office in Billings, Montana. No clue what I'm getting called back there for. And they said, look, we got to fire you because you're out looking for something better. And I said, oh, okay, whatever. So I lose mm-hmm. my job as a geosteer. So I'm hanging out at the house. I go out to a lake here in Colorado, and another directional driller happens to be there. And this was in 2014, right? Oil prices are like record levels, and everyone's drilling as quick as they can. Yeah. So they needed DDs. And he says, look, you know a little bit about it. I'll train you the rest. Just come out, work for us over here in Denver. So I did. And that's how I, you know, I just met the right person at the right time. I had just enough knowledge to where they could train me and it was great you know and then the 2015 collapse happened so didn't have a job any longer after that but you know for about a year I had a pretty good gig going yeah huh so what was your favorite part about being a directional driller you know it was applying 
the concept and the mechanics behind it, but also using my geologic knowledge. So as we were building a curve, you know, like I knew that certain rock formations were going to react different. And I could just envision myself down at the drill bit. Like, what is that bit seeing right now and how it's reacting up on the surface? And just kind of like playing with my torque and differentials. And, you know, I remember all the terminology, but it was just putting multiple sciences together and disciplines and trying to make the best outcome, you know, kind of think how the bit would think if you're the rock. Yeah. Wow. You know, I've never heard that explanation before, you know, talking to directional drillers. It's, I mean, I've heard a few different ones, but that is very unique, I would say. And certainly having that kind of looking at it from that angle, I'm sure gave you a little bit of an advantage. I mean, especially if you understood it from that perspective, that's really neat, actually. I'll have to reach out to any of the other directional driller buddies that I know and and ask them that exact question, because I would imagine not many think of it like that. But yeah, certainly interesting nonetheless. Yeah. You know, one particular story that comes to mind, we're over here in Greeley, we're drilling the surface hole. And the first part of the surface of, you know, 2000 foot is just unconsolidated rocks that were from flood episodes, you know, however million years ago. And we're hitting these big differential spikes. And they're like, what the heck are you doing up there? I said, guys, we're going through like a giant floodplain. These boulders down there are probably the size of your car. Like, yeah, there's some sediments around them. But these are giant chunks of granite that just fell off the Rocky Mountains during some ginormous flood. So we're hitting those. Of course, you're going to get some diff spikes. We're hitting solid granite. Then we're hitting sandstone, then granite, then sandstone. So it was kind of cool to explain to the company man who's pissed off. Yeah. You know, and I tell them the science team's like, oh. Okay. Yeah, well, how do you how do you argue that? Like unless he's drilled a thousand wells within a hundred feet of there to know exactly what to expect. But yeah, see you can't argue that one because you know, at the reality is is that's exactly what's sitting down there. It's hard to visualize, you know, because it all coming back across the shakers looks relatively the same. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So moving on after that, you do your stints working for other people, you know, then explain the journey that actually led you to starting your own company. Okay. So after the downturn in 2015, I met a guy, actually I reconnected with a guy that I originally met in 2013 as a geosteer. And this was a guy upstate New York, Lake Placid is where he was from. Super rich real estate dude. He calls me saying, Chad, I got an idea. I'm going to start an oil company in North Dakota. I know you're a geologist. You know some operations. You want to come with me? Absolutely. I said, I don't have anything going on right now. Mm-hmm. So long story short, I meet a whole bunch of you know, geologists and geophysicists from the big boy Conoco and Marathon. And, and we're up in North Dakota putting together a little oil play. Conventional is what we're targeting because oil was like $26 a barrel and no one's going to give you cash for a Bakken horizontal. <laughs> right. So we're out there trying to you know make lemonade from these lemons and I get thrown into a situation where I'm not qualified to do anything that I'm doing, but it's all these older men that don't want to be out in the field. So I'm out there by myself running workover rigs, wireline trucks, perforating things, you know, doing (laughs) permits, driving semis. What? (laughs) Dude, everything that comes to, to make an oil company, they had me do it because they didn't want to be out there. And so that is so funny, but such a good experience, such a good experience. So I spent five years up there doing that, man. And like, you know, putting together frack jobs, no one in the company had ever fracked before, but I knew enough about it to where I could find someone that did know what they were doing. Yeah. And so we're up there fracking, you know, like a bunch of idiots at 20 below zero at Christmas day. And of course we have all these problems and, and it was, (laughs) Just one thing led to another, but through all this stuff, you know, I learned how to work through problems, how to have a strategy, how to, you know, know your weakness and then go find someone that can help you through your weakness and to help uh, you too. Yeah. And so that's probably the biggest thing that I learned because through the whole oil company thing up there, I was kind of in charge of marketing, which who knows how to market crude oil if you're, I don't know that market space, but I met a guy that did. 
And he hmm. was an ex-president of Coke Industries, the Coke brothers. Oh, yeah. They're not small. They're not small. So he was the guy that was in charge of their $100 billion empire for 10 years. Holy smokes. Yeah. And this guy happens to live in Denver. And once I met him, I said, I'm latching on to you because you make good choices and you're smart and you got a lot of innovation. Mm-hmm. And that's what got me into the chemical space, you know, multiple years down the road later. Okay. Huh. So that was with, and looking at your LinkedIn, you had Chaco or Chaco International. Is that a chemical company? So that was my own LLC whenever I was a directional driller. You know, we were all 1099 employees. Okay. And so that was my own little LLC that I've had so I could get paid. And and that turned into Chaco, which is short for Chad Collins. Yeah. Is kind of now the main company. And then I got my Kingdom Chemical company underneath that one. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Huh. I mean, let's be honest, entrepreneurship is being deemed cool up until about March 1st, 2020. Like I think over the last six years, I have heard the term entrepreneur more than I've heard any other term. And so everyone's trying to start their own business and rightfully so. Like the cost of doing so is crazy cheap. And I'm not talking about oil field in specific. I'm just talking about in general, like starting a company you could do within like five minutes on LegalZoom.com. But is that something that you always envisioned yourself doing Or was it just kind of like organically, it just made sense? I mean, tell me a little bit about that. So I've always envisioned it, man. My grandfather, he was an entrepreneur to the definition. You know, he grew up during the Great Depression and, you know, saw how what it takes to survive. And through the course of his life, at one point in his life, he was the ice delivery guy. He owned the ice company. He owned the company that sold housing in this little town in Nebraska. He was a meat inspector for the county, and he ran a Dairy Queen all at the same time while having three kids and grandma. So from a young age, I just looked up to him and saw, okay, you know, he did whatever it took to survive. And so he kind of instilled that fighter instinct into all of us grandkids. And to this day, I think three out of the five grandkids, we all have our own businesses. Oh, wow. So it's in your DNA. It's in our DNA. That's right. And so I just kind of learned from their mistakes and like any good human being does and try and improve the next generation. Yeah. And you know, that's just a good perspective to have. You said earlier, you said three grandkids had businesses? Yep. And you said they were all successful. So what is your definition of a successful business? Being cash flow positive, not having to rely on, you know, like outside money, to make you operate. That's my definition of success, business success, you know, and they've been in business for shoot 10 years. Mm-hmm. Huh. So would you say for you, entrepreneurship was monetary driven or was it just wanting to have, you know, the control or you just knew that you were a creator and could, you know, eventually monetize something that you wanted to create? You know, it's a combination of all of those. I'll admit, as any young man does, money kind of becomes this object and you want more of it and you want that baller, shot, caller lifestyle type thing. And then you quickly realize that that is not attainable at however old you are. (laughs) (laughs) You've watched way too many videos that are fake. Yes. And then, you know, it was through the struggles, man, like the whole North Dakota oil field experience was probably the biggest fight and struggle of my life. Yeah. And so it was through that part that, man, God really broke me down to base level and then built me back up to have realistic expectations mm-hmm. and to take the righteous path, take the path of truth and to not fall into the temptations of greed and you know materialistic things. So being entrepreneur to me, it started out as being money, but now that's one of the lowest things that drives me right now. Okay. So what drives you? Yeah. So what's driving me today is building good relationships, having like, you know, a friend and a business partner at the same time or having two opposites. You know, this guy's only my business friend type Mm -hmm. thing and having this balance where you can you know, work from your cell phone. As long as you have a cell phone on you, I can do my job anywhere in the world. Right. So it's like, yeah, man, I love to snowboard and ski. I want to be able to work on the ski lift. And so I'm able to do that because I've 
gone through the trenches and the warfare and everything else to get to that point and kind of chisel my own path, so to speak, of whatever works best for myself. Interesting. So what would you say the biggest lesson learned is during being an entrepreneur or one that you didn't even consider that hit you right smack in the face and you then realized, holy smokes, this thing's for real? That you are not always correct. You're not the smartest person. In fact, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. (laughs) I love it. That's a great (laughs) nugget to take away. When I post this on LinkedIn, that's going to be the title of it. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's true, man. There's a lot of truth to it. So do you have a personal story that you you were maybe that guy in the room and got knocked off your pedestal? or, Or is that just something that you've become mindful of? Probably both at that oil company. You know, here I was, I think I was 26 at the time. And you know, I, technically I was a company man and you know how every young company hand is. We think we're all the coolest guys in the world, but really you're not. And <laughs> <laughs> at that time I realized, okay, this is millions of dollars that I'm dealing with here. Like this guy in New York basically gave me a check for $20 million of his own money to go build him an oil company. And <laughs> Sounds so crazy. Yeah, right. And when you start seeing like there's some failures happening and you got to be accountable to those failures. It's not just like there's an endless supply of cash. So at that point I said, okay, whatever we're doing is not working because there's these people that were running the company that I was learning from and, and they just ran it right in the dirt. And then they all got fired and I'm the only one left. So then it became this thing of, you know, you've got to ask other people for advice because believe it or not, Chad, you're not the smartest person. Those guys that have gray hair over there, yeah, they might be salty dickheads, but they're (laughs) freaking, they know what they're talking about. And so I reached out to those guys, man, and they helped me and they love to help me. No, that's good, man. I think nowadays, especially it's, you got to have the humility to ask people for help because If not, like you said, you'll never be the smartest one. And I think that's what makes a good hand is having the humility and being vulnerable to saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to use my resources to get you the best answer or the best solution. And I think, you know, the folks out there that do very well are not necessarily the ones that have all the answers, but ask all the best questions. You know what I mean? Like there's something to be said by that, which leads me to my next question you know, tell us about Kingdom Chemicals. I think, you know, that's obviously, it's relatively new for you. I think it's about three months. You started it in January. The timing, depending on who you ask, is probably crazy. But uh, I would love to hear, you know, what you're doing over there with that company. Obviously, with what's going on right now, we're recording this at the end of March. Tell us, you know, the journey, what you're doing, and and just kind of lay it on us. Cause I mean, I don't know anyone who started a company within the last few months who isn't just ready to, you know, <laughs> you know, call their quits and in a few ways and one. So I'll let you kind of go ahead and tell us. Yeah, absolutely. So the whole inception of just chemicals in general came into my life. It was December, 2018 with the Koch brothers guy that I mentioned. Yeah. That got my wheels turning and my mind thinking. So as I'm doing the oil company in North Dakota, I am trying to figure out the ground level for the chemical company. Doing my research, you know, I've never been a chemist. I liked chemistry. I didn't understand everything, but I kind of understood the concepts of oil field chemicals. And I knew that, you know, they're all generally the same thing, just a different label on the bag. So I started talking to different folks, getting in my network of chemical users and just felt out, is there a need for what this you know guy has proposed to me? And I, it turns out there was a need. I prayed about it, obviously. This is a big decision in life. I don't want to go down the wrong path. And so I believe that I heard the good Lord above tell me to go start a chemical company. And that's why it's called Kingdom Chemical. I believe that it's not mine. It's the Lord's and he's let me steward it is the right term I like to use. I'm just a okay. steward of what we've been given. So as time progressed, I learned more about our product and, you know, it was really neat. What separated us from any other chemical company out there is that all of our products are granular. So our chemists in the lab took just a normal everyday product and dehydrated it, so to speak. So now our products, you can ship them in the post office, UPS anywhere in the mail because they're not liquid. So they're non-hazmat for storage and transport. And I said, man, I only know like maybe one other person that's ever even heard of a granular chemical. So I think maybe there's some room here for me. Yeah. 
Right. Turns out there was some room. There was one product that caught my eye in particular, and it was this disinfectant that up until two weeks ago, no one had ever really paid attention to. And this disinfectant, it's nothing that's not been created. It's called hypochlorous acid. It's been around for 100 years. The only difference was we had the granular version of it, which meant you can put it in the mail, you can ship it. So is this product normally sold from a manufacturer as a, like as a solution, like, yeah, a, like a liquid? It okay. is. So kind of like how sodium hypochlorite and bleach is generated on site during frack jobs. Yeah. You used to have to have a big giant machine come out and generate hypochlorous acid on the site. And it would take, you know, six tanker loads of this stuff because they couldn't get the concentration high enough. Mm. So what our guys did, they condensed six tanker trucks worth of hypochlorous acid and it will fit in the back of your pickup truck in the form of 10 pound bags of the solid stuff. So it was the science that draw me to that. Because I mean, that's pretty amazing that someone could figure that out. <laughs> no kidding. Huh. Yeah. So turns out this hypochlorous acid has got tons of uses. It's fighting the COVID-19 coronavirus as we speak. Wow. It's all over the hospital world. You know, I've been selling it to just people that were bug sprayers last week. And this week, they're disinfectant sprayers. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, again, it is extremely sad to know what's going on with a lot of people out there. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to be affected from this, but I find it fascinating that during these times of chaos and these times of anxiety and just, you know, stress and I mean, there's just there's so much negativity, unfortunately, which understandably so. But there are people like yourselves who are coming out of this that, I mean, honestly may end up creating a legacy for themselves to create generational wealth. And, you know, that's best case scenario, but it's crazy to see that some people can emerge out of the darkness and create opportunities during these times. And to be speaking with someone like yourself during that and who is doing something like this, and not only from a income and revenue perspective as a business, but you're actually helping people. And I mean, maybe I'm going a little bit over the top, but you could potentially be saving people's lives right now by providing this to the masses. Like it's unbelievable what you're doing. Right. And that's honestly what drives me. So it's not the money. It's none of that. It's the fact that, look, man, our country is in a dire straits right now. Like the president has said, we're in a war against an enemy you cannot see. Yeah. And it's like, dude, step up, man. This is the time in which you can help your country. Like, I'm not out there with a gun. Like in my mind, this is World War III getting fought right now. But instead of bombs and guns, it's disinfectants and vaccines. You know, that's so true. And it, I have to laugh. You know, the internet is going nuts with it right now with memes. And I saw one time it said, you know, the government told your grandfather's grandfather to go to war. And now our government's telling us to stay at home. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's, it's such a different world. But nonetheless, we're fighting the good fight. And like you said, it's not with guns, but it's with freaking disinfectant. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. So you said you're selling it to all over the place, this and that. How did you ultimately market it? And then how did you actually reach out? Because obviously you're not driving to offices, you're doing everything remotely. But how did you actually get in touch with a lot of people to tell the story and to, you know, tell them about your value proposition and what you actually had to offer? Like, how did you go about doing that? So, Last September is when I started to market Kingdom Chemical to frat companies and oil companies. And I just went through the directory and I just cold called everyone I could possibly think of, which got me way out of my comfort zone. That was so nerve wracking. Good for you. And then, you know, I wasn't having any success at all. No one would care. So then I joined a solar panel sales group where my job was to go around to doors and knock on them and to try and get you to sign up for solar panels on your roof. What? <laughs> yeah, man, which was like so far out of who I am, but it taught me how to speak to people that are like coming across initially hostile. Like, what are you doing on my porch? Get out yeah. of here, you low life. So did you literally get a job to increase that skill set? I did. Wow. That's phenomenal. Every 16 to 18 year old in the United States of America should listen to that because that 
putting yourself out there like that. I mean, most people wouldn't do that because most people right. are, are, are uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. So they just steer away from it. But like Ryan mm-hmm. Holiday says, the obstacle is the way. So that's interesting, man. So my brother-in-law actually did door-to-door sales for, I think it was like two weeks. And he just like, he was like, I'm done. And it was like middle of Houston summer, a hundred degrees. He was going into neighborhoods where like pit bulls were chasing him. Like he just wasn't having it. <laughs> yes. He's got a, some pretty funny stories, man. Do you have any funny, like any stories that you remember that happened during door-to-door sales? I feel like everyone who's done that has something. Man, it's just kind of a combination of, you meet a lot of characters out there. And even yeah. people in your own neighborhood, like you'll go up to a neighborhood like, oh man, those are some big houses. I bet everyone in there is rich. And so you go in there and thinking you just hit the honey hole. But yeah. it turns out, man, everyone in there is like, man, they're either broke. They're like declared bankruptcy. None of them qualify for credit checks to do any of wow. this stuff. <laughs> and you'll meet people that's like 10 in the morning and they're already like drunk. You know, like a lot of sad situations in neighborhoods that you would just think of. Oh, that dude drives a Range Rover. Of course, he's got all the happiness in the world. But turns out, you know, they don't. But then you meet a lot of great people in there, too, like some normal person that's just looking to improve their own little situation in their life. But I'm trying to think of some stories. I think some of the funniest ones were like people will talk to you through the little ring thing on their door. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Because God forbid you open the door and someone oh, just like man. runs in, which, you know, nowadays you never know, I guess. You never know. This one person, I hit a ring, I knocked on their door. The key is you never hit that ring thing because then it activates it and then they can see you. So you always knock. Right. Okay. That's a good trick. <laughs> yeah. So then I knocked. They opened their blinds up, peek through, turn all the lights off in their house as soon as they opened up the thing. So I knew they were in there. No Well, then way. they get in their car and they get out and they drive across the street and then they start talking to me through the little ring thing. No and way. I'm like, what? there's much easier ways to just tell me you're not interested. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That is unle- That's funny, man. Yeah, because we have ring and, and, you know, being in sales, I at least give people the time of day. Now, not all the time. If we're trying to eat supper with the kids, you know, I'm not going to sit there and listen to someone's pitch for the next 20 minutes, but you know, at least answering the door and letting them do their thing. And I've even actually given people advice like, Hey, look, I can tell, you know, you're new into sales and I'll try and offer some value back. But like, look, I'm not about to buy your product, but here's something that I would suggest maybe on the next house. Like instead of saying this, maybe approach it like that. And like, I've had people be like, man, like, I'm like, thank you so much. Like I never, like, I'm literally just winging it and I have had little to no training and I'm just trying my best. And I'm like, yeah, like, dude, I'm not going to give you money for this because I just don't see the value in it, but here's some advice. And so you're like you said, you just never knew who you're going to end up talking to. No, but man, I would never change it for anything. Going to these sales meetings with these solar panel guys. I mean, oil and gas going into the solar world. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're that evil fossil fuel guy. (laughs) Right, right. Like, no, man, we're just normal people. And you'd be surprised. Honestly, the people that, say yes to the solar are like a lot of them are oil and gas guys oh okay yeah yeah understand how it works but Ah. so like the house that you think is no i'm just gonna skip over it because they got like a a trump sticker on their pickup truck you know they say yes but then you go to the house that's got a prius with a coexist (laughs) sticker on the bumper says yeah (laughs) yeah 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 okay yeah you'd be surprised i mean there's a lot of oil and gas execs that rip around in teslas and you know if granted if i was in the right position i'd probably buy one because it still takes electricity to freaking drive a tesla and you know where electricity comes from and if you don't google it but it still requires some form of hydrocarbons at some point in time during the manufacturing process or even you know getting electricity But moving on, so with Kingdom Chemicals, you know, like I said, we found each other on LinkedIn. Tell us your experience on LinkedIn and how that's maybe helped tell the, the Kingdom Chemical story or at least helped you market what you're doing. Yeah. So like I said, up until two weeks ago, no one really gave me the time of day. But now all of a sudden, the same people are like reaching back out because I would target, you know, you go through, oh, find the frac supervisor, find the guy in charge of production at EOG or whatever, you know, just... LinkedIn stock them, so to speak. Yeah. But then, you know, I made a post. You reshared it, man. And that, and that got a ton of notoriety. Oh, was good. The, the fact that I did a little experiment. I called all the janitorial su- supply stores in Denver 
asking for a disinfectant, kind of playing dumb. And they all said, no, 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 we're out. There's none to be had. And even if we did have them, we can't sell them to you because we can only sell to pre-existing customers. We're not taking any new customers at this time. And so I put that on LinkedIn. And then usually my posts get like, you know, maybe 400 views. But that one got like 3,000 because like 10 different people shared it. And so then it turned into this thing of like, look, people, I've been trying to help you for all these months and no one paid attention. And now like when we're all in need, I'm still trying to help you and I'm here to help. And I'm so thankful that I can help. And so Mm -hmm. it's actually working nowadays. Just the whole fact of I'm helping you. I'm not here to take advantage of nobody. Like we're all in this together. Yes. So since then, I mean, was that really that helped kick things off from a sales perspective or is it just kind of a combination of, of your past, you know, relationships and just reaching out and cold calling or like how much of what you're doing now has been generated due to LinkedIn or is, is that something you can even measure? Yeah. You know, I'll put it into social media because I'm using Facebook too. Okay. So cool. I would say probably like 98% is from social media exposure wow. just because obviously we're all stuck in our homes and we can't get outside. So yeah, it's been all social media for the most part. Most of it has been people that I've already have known that have turned to me. And then because they trust me, they tell their friend and then they tell their friend. So it's kind of been this word of mouth thing going around as well. Like I got a meeting in a couple minutes with a guy that cleans carpet, a big giant company in the US, Zero Res. They're like, man, we... I've been looking for your product like yours forever. And thank you for randomly messaging us on Facebook. <laughs> wow, dude, that's incredible. Well, look, I want to respect your time. Are you got to Oh, no, it's with- all good, man. This is my number one priority right now. Okay, well, you know, I'm honored to hear that, definitely. You know, again, that's certainly fascinating. And it just goes to show the power of social media. It's such a tool. And like any tool, it can hurt you or it can help you. And if you can find the ways for it to help you, it can help your business scale like none other. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's good that you've been doing that. Shoot. And I'd imagine you, I mean, it sounds like you're just getting started. So, you know, good for you. Yeah. A couple of questions before we close out, because like I said, we're about 45 minutes. I want to respect your time. Mm-hmm. But what does the future look like at Kingdom Chemicals? Have you kind of, you know, I'm sure you've been busy and, you know, wheeling and dealing these last few weeks. But if you were to sit back and give yourself a 30,000 foot view of what this thing looks like in the future, how would you describe it? So that's a really good question. We are focused right now on the medical side of things, fighting the virus. But -hmm. at the same time, you know, the oil field is kind of, it's in a bust right now. And the last thing I took away from the bust in 2015 was that you've got to prepare during the bust for the next boom. And so the time right now for Kingdom Chemical, we are preparing for the next boom in the oil patch because it's not if, it's when it happens again. And the biggest thing that we're focusing on now is treating frac water. During the last couple of months, I've had all these independent labs test my products in terms of oxidizing frac water. And we've come to find out that one of our products is actually a higher efficacy than chlorine dioxide and sodium hypochlorite to treat frac water. So we're preparing right now to go after that market. And we're kind of good right now because there's not a whole, you can fly under the radar right now and no one even knows you're there. So once the oil thing picks back up again, man, we're, we're targeting water. That's what we're going after is water not necessarily all the oil. Ah, okay. And you think there's a demand there that, you know, like, so because I guess of what you described just recently, the the demand is such that that's where you want to focus your energy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the water, you know, go down to the Permian, man. They produce 60, what is it, 60 million barrels of water a day out of that place and only four whatever million barrels, four million barrels of oil a day. So there's a lot more water to deal with than there is with oil. Yeah, no, you're right. I actually interviewed some folks on the, you know, and I'm going to kick myself in the pants for forgetting their names, but it, her name was Julie Bennett. And oh, I forget the name of the water treatment company. But, you know, they similarly said, like, the focus on water right now and the demand for solutions in that ecosystem is high. And so I encourage anyone out there that's in the chemical game, I mean, obviously yourself, 
there's a huge pie and I think there's enough room for everyone to take a bite. So if you've got, you know, any type of solutions or any technology that could help on the waterfront, and, you know, especially, I mean, we haven't heard the letters ESG in a few weeks, but, you know, once this thing settles and people, you know, kind of get back to normal, whatever normal is going to look like, you know, environmental safety and really just protecting our water on a macro level is certainly going to be important. So Mm -hmm. keep an eye out for that as well. And, and good job for, you know, diversifying, you know, obviously you said you're medical and oil and gas and, you know, sounds like, you know, there's opportunity in so many different places. So it's, it's good that you've recognized that. Yep. And agriculture too, you know, one of our, the same disinfectant that we use in the medical world is USDA approved, FDA approved for whenever they pick produce in the fields, it's got to go sit in a big swimming pool, basically, and Mm -hmm. disinfect whatever's on there for 15 minutes. So our product is used in that process. So I'm trying to also drum up the whole agriculture world because, man, that's uh, other thing this virus has taught us that farmers are also very important people. Big time, big time. No, they deserve all the respect in the world as well. And I mean, and the help too. I mean, I know my uncle, he's a retired farmer, but you know, over the last few years, they've been up against quite a bit of resistance and just the way that our food industry is changing and the way we farm. Yeah, I mean, they deserve new technology as well. And so, you know, again, I think everything's changing for the better and people are just going to have to get through the rocky times. But ultimately, I think people are going to merge out of this. And I think the world's going to be a better place because of it. I 100% agree. This is just like one giant reset is all it is. Yeah, my mother actually said it's Mother Nature's way of putting us in time out for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hey, you can see these on the geologic record too. That's one thing I was telling someone yesterday is they're, no way. They're, called, they're called Lagerstaaten is the geologic term and no translated way. from German to English. It stands for death assemblage. What? Yeah. So, and I got some of these rocks in my backyard right now. You can see where there was like one point in time, things are flourishing. And then all of a sudden, like massive amounts of life just dies. And so, wow, you can see these things even in the geologic record. So, you know, as bad as they are, they're nothing new. Yeah. Hey, that's music to my ears, man. I'm glad we've been through this before. Hopefully folks around that time were able to live to talk about it. Amen to that. (laughs) Right. Well, a couple of questions before we kick off here, more on a personal perspective. So kind of moving away from the business aspect of things for yourself personally, do you have any daily habits or routines that help keep you focused and motivated just to keep grinding every single day like you do? You know, I do. I wake up anywhere between like 6.30 and 7. First thing I do is I drink about 20 ounces of water to there get you go. my body alive. Maybe do some push-ups to get the blood flowing, do some stretching if I can't even do that. You know, I try to make a vegetable smoothie as my wife and I are getting ready to go out for our work day. And then I spend about 20 minutes reading the Bible and, and doing my devotional for the day. And then I just turn on some encouraging music and I, I go about my, my morning and I try to get my whole day done before noon. Nice. That's good. You know, the important stuff. You know, I lay out the stuff that's important the night before and I try to get it done before noon because as we all know, there's all these distractions that pop up in our days. And if I can get the really important stuff done before noon, well, then I have the rest of the afternoon to handle distractions. No, you're absolutely right. And like my man, Aubrey Marcus says, if you win the morning, you win the day. So, hey, I like that. Yeah, that's definitely. So speaking of music, what did you listen to this morning then? Do you remember? Let's see. Our internet's been so slow over here because everyone in the neighborhood <laughs> jumped on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't even know if I listened to music this morning. But the other mornings, oh, there's a band called Starfield. They're like this Christian kind of like rock band I like to listen to. Okay. And I just have some good harmonics to those guys. Excellent. Yeah, oh, that's good. I was just curious, man. I just wanted to hear what was in the ears of Chad Collins when he yeah, gets yeah. up and is ready to kick ass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, don't get me wrong. I like whiskey in the jar from Metallica. There I like go. the hard rock stuff too. There you go. Hey, that's good, man. Well, look, I certainly appreciate everything and for what you're doing, all the hard work and just being able to help, you know, our, our nation and, and, you know, maybe the world for what, you know, we're going through. But, you know, if anyone's interested in hearing more about you, some of the stuff that you provide, what's the best way to be able to do that? And if you let me know, I'll put those links in our show notes, but what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, absolutely, man. LinkedIn, honestly, is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, Chad D. Collins is my name on there. Kingdom Chemical has a site as well. Perfect. You guys just launched it, right? 
Yes. Cool. I'm working with a web developer in Houston actually right now. It's going to be thekingdomchemical.com. All right. I'm typing that right now into my show notes. That way I don't forget. Yes. Excellent. Good deal, man. Well, before we log off, there's some housekeeping and a few announcements I'd like to make. Obviously, OGGN, we're putting a few of our events on hold due to everything that's going on, but stay tuned and keep listening for any updates on that. And if you're in the Houston area and you're interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. As soon as our world opens back up and the ice rinks back, you know, opened up and ready for us to get out there and hack away. I'll let everybody know, but we do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And similarly to hockey, you know, with folks trying to work out, we're doing it in our garage. But once things open back up, anyone that's in the Katy area here in Houston, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Chad, thanks again for joining me today. I'll make sure and put the link in the show notes. But one last question I had for you, is there a message you'd like to relay assuming everyone in energy is listening right now? Is there one thing that you'd just like to put out there for everybody? You know, yes. Keep your head up. We've all read it before. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. And man, that is so true. I've only been through three of these little busts in my life. But man, every time a bust happens, I come out higher than whenever I went into it. Excellent. Well, hopefully you're one of many. And yes. again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Always remember everybody when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. <laughs> Hi everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So We just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.